The Matheson Pensions Podcast. Presented by Deirdre Cummins, partner in the Employment, Pensions and Benefits Group at Matheson. This podcast series examines the topical legal issues affecting the operation and management of occupational pension schemes in Ireland and is relevant to pension scheme trustees, employers, pension practitioners and industry professionals. Hello and welcome. I'm Deirdre Cummins and this is part three of our seminar on bulk annuity transactions. In this part, Samantha Brown and Rachel Pinto, partners from Herbert Smith Freehills, share some lessons from their UK market experience and provide some tips on preparing for a de-risking project of this nature. Thank you very much to Matheson for having us and thank you all for coming. We're just going to speak, I'm going to give you, I was planning to give you a very brief overview of the UK insurance market and sort of where the de-risking market is at because it's been quite a rapid growth and perhaps contraction in the last 10 years that I think is um, quite important to understanding what Rachel's then going to talk about, which is our sort of top tips from our experience for, how, for schemes for how to prepare for buyout. Um, but before I do that, I just wanted to pick up on two points that um, previous speakers have, have made. And actually just taking um, Darren's last point about these buy-in contracts moving to buyout, I can't think of a single deal that we've done or that we've seen for any of our, you know, within our team where trustees have been going to buy out where they haven't gone to buy in first. So it's absolutely run of the mill at home that you do a buyout by going through a buy in first. Um, and the reason for that is that the buy in contract will usually allow for a period of data cleansing and to let schemes and, and the insurer write the individual annuity policies all their addresses sorted, so on, do all their tidying up. So the buy-in contract will allow for a period when that happens while the pricing is held. So, and I don't know if, if this is how it happens over here, but you will strike your buy-in contract using a particular pricing basis. There'll then be usually about 12 months of data cleansing, during which if you want to move to buy-out, you're also um, doing all your member comms of your trustees, going through your discharge procedure. At the end of that data cleanse process, the insurer will then calculate any true-up premium or, or refund based on the cleanse data, so what they now understand the scheme liabilities to be. That payment will be made, and the scheme can then press the button and move to individual annuities. And that true-up payment, if, if the data cleanse has been done in the period of time allowed for in the contract, that true-up payment will be calculated on the original pricing basis. And so that gives trustees certainty before pressing the button for buyout that they've locked into their, their pricing. And I can't, as I say, I can't think of any schemes that haven't done it that way. But because you're locked in for 12, some schemes longer, 12, 24 months, it is still an investment decision at the point in time when you enter into the contract. So the trustees are thinking about all the things that Jane was talking about. Um, and the other thing I just wanted to pick up, just a point that John was making at the beginning, about who is driving these transactions. And certainly the way we have seen the market develop at home is that buy-in transactions are predominantly driven by trustees, usually ones who have been investing with a view to matching buyout pricing or buy-in pricing, and then being able to move to that kind of investment decision without a material top-up payment from the sponsor. Whereas buyouts 
and particularly some of the more innovative buyouts are being driven very much by sponsors who um, are faced with an increasing, increasingly unattractive regulatory burden in the UK. Anyway, what I was quickly going to just run through for you, just to give you some context. context. So before 2007-8, there were really only two main providers in the UK market, LNG and the Prue. Aviva probably did some business as well, but it was very much a seller's market. You know, the insurers picked the business they wanted to do, did it on the pricing they wanted and on the terms they wanted. Um, contracts weren't really very heavily negotiated. Um, certainly, sometimes now when we come to look for those kind of contracts, no one can find them, or it was just an offer note with signatories on the on the back. Um, so very different kind of market than we than we have now. And schemes were doing buy-ins, but probably not at the at the volume that they're doing now. It was much more, as John's described from of the Irish market, much more buyout, wind-up type um, type market. And then in 2008-9, there was this sudden influx of new entrants to the market, and it was a very disruptive period, although a really great period to work through. Um, there were four or five brand new monoline insurers who entered the space. Um, some of the other uh, multi-line insurers started writing where they hadn't done previously. Um, and there were also non-insurance solutions, um, which got quite quickly slapped down by the pensions regulator. But it was a really vibrant market. And the, it was, you know, the insurers were really throwing themselves at schemes, which meant that there was crazy good pricing. So, so many schemes were doing deals that in some cases not much more than... Um, the the um, uh, accounting basis that was just mad pricing. It also meant that schemes could be much more demanding of insurers because pretty much whatever they asked for, they got. So insurers were encouraged and uh, became very in innovative. Um, so <clears throat> it was quite complex, actually. <laughs> it was quite complex contracts written. Um, but what we started seeing was not just what we sort of call the plain vanilla with trustees saying, here's my benefit spec, please can I have a, a and here's my pool of members, please can I have a matched um, buy-in policy. We started seeing them asking for all kinds of add-ons, bells and whistles. So some of the things that we saw were, and this was more in the buyout space, but we saw um, new structures for complete all-risk buyouts. So trustees and sponsors coming to insurers and saying, I need this whole thing off my books, not just the liabilities I know about, I need to insure all unknown risks as well. We saw substitutions of principal employer where insurance groups were taking pensions, the whole pensions trust into their group to get it off corporate balance sheets. Um, we worked on a deal, thankfully never repeated, but we worked on a deal which insured um, future service liabilities for what would otherwise have been deferred members. And we also saw, um, coming on to, to Darren's point, an increased demand for collateral arrangements. Now that was particularly at the sort of about 250 million pounds plus mark. Some of the consultants just started asking for collateral from insurers as a, you know, a minimum requirement. That wasn't always agreed to, and in fact, probably not agreed to more often than not. Um, but there was some. There was some collateral given. Um, it, it also meant that 
trust, I think a lot of the consultants, the market expanded so quickly, the consultants really got up the curve very, very quickly and became very sophisticated at, at broking deals with insurance companies for their trustee clients. And a part of that was actually encouraging their trustee clients to go out and get best terms. So whereas, as I said previously, insurers had frequently just said, well, here are my, here are my terms, take them or leave them. The consultants were saying to insurers, well, actually, my trustees need your contract, have all of these requirements in it. You need to tick all of these boxes. And we got into, and what remains now, a process of, of proper, sophisticated contract negotiation. It doesn't make the contracts difficult, but they are properly negotiated now, um, perhaps in a way that, that they weren't so much in the past. Um, and trustees are very, very savvy about asking for the things that they want. Um, just picking up on a, a, one of Darren's points that he made at the end there, one material difference I think in the UK market is that it is very unusual for trustees to have termination rights in a buy-in contract. Um, and that is largely because we have a financial services compensation scheme which provides 100% coverage on the failure of, a, of a, an insurance company. Um, and so it's very unusual for an insurer to agree to a termination provision other than I think the kinds of termination provisions we see are sort of breach of fundamental warranty on signing um, or you know a, a breach by the insurer within say 60 days of capital adequacy requirements but that aside very unusual for trustees to have a termination right so it doesn't it tends not to be has tended not to be the focus of negotiations. It's coming back a bit now, um, but I think, as I was saying to some of you earlier, I think that's just because some advisors have decided to start asking for it, and it sort of that becomes an, an ask that everyone looks for. But by and large, at the moment, not not widely given. Um, in the period then since sort of 2008, 9, 10, we've seen some consolidation. Some of those new entrants never wrote any business. Um, one of them, one or two of them um, were told by the um, PRA that they couldn't write any more business and their books were swept up to some of the other providers. And we've seen a lot of the, um, a lot of other providers, you know, coming into the market. Um, so Scottish Widows, for example, which had not really written terribly much for, for quite a long time, has come back in, is very active. Canada Life is active. Phoenix is active. So, you know, the, the market is, is busy again. And where we are now, um, and I, I, I don't, I don't really know what has driven this, but we're now in a position where there's there's lots of capital, so the insurers are hungry for business, but the demand that's coming from on the buy side is a very large number of very large buy-ins, so and, and buyouts actually. So the last we heard, the one consultancy was saying that they had over fifteen billion pound plus deals to be transacted this year and that that's just one consultant at the you know at the top end so it's going to be a very busy year and what that means for schemes is that the insurers are really keen on those big those really big deals they want them but they take a lot of resource so they're spending a lot of time a lot of effort pricing those which leaves much less capacity within the insurance teams and probably the consultants actually a lot less capacity to deal with the more vanilla bread and butter schemes. And so 
to get the you know to get an insurer's attention, schemes need to really position themselves, smaller schemes, to be an attractive proposition. Um, and that's really what what Rachel is going to talk about, which is you're going to get attention in the market if you're massive. And you know, 15 is a lot, but there are many, many more at the smaller end. So how do you, at the smaller end, position yourself to still get insured attention and to still get a good deal when, when you know, focus is, is so divergent at the moment? Um, so Rachel's going to, to talk about that and talk to you about our top tips. Thanks, Sam. So I'll be bringing together some of the points, actually, that some of the other speakers have already made. Um, as, as Sam said, though, I'll be focusing on the fact that as the UK employ, uh, the UK insurance market is so busy and competitive, unless one of the, unless you've got a really big scheme, you potentially will struggle to get attention from the insurers. So, so in order to um, not have to work even harder than you would have to anyway to get that attention and get a deal on good terms. Um, we've come up with some some top tips for, for trustees to consider. So there's an increasing focus on schemes really actively preparing to enter into one of these types of transactions and really getting into the best possible shape that they can before they actually go out and then engage with the market as a whole. And there are really four principal reasons for that. Firstly, a scheme will just be more attractive to an insurer if it has actually spent the time preparing before they come to the market. And that's because from an insurer's perspective, of course, there is a fair amount of time and also money that goes into the insurer preparing its pricing and actually providing quotes to, to trustees of pension schemes. So it's important from the insurer's perspective to have a fair amount of certainty that actually the trustees are going to go ahead and actually enter into one of these transactions. So if the scheme is prepared, they are more likely to actually go ahead and transact. And so the insurer is more willing to really engage with them and potentially also negotiate what would otherwise be the insurer's standard terms that they offer to the trustees. From the scheme's perspective, if they are prepared, then they, then they can actually transact faster. And what that means is if they are really ready to transact, they can take advantage and actually press the button when the pricing is favourable to them. If a scheme, on the other hand, isn't properly prepared, it's more likely that there will be stumbling blocks along the way, and then that can derail potentially the, the timetable that trustees would otherwise have liked to, to go ahead with. And in turn, that of course um, means an extended period where you're negotiating, which leads to higher advisor fees. So even though there will be a, a, a period of time and an associated cost involved with really getting your scheme into a good position to be able to then go forward and, um, and approach the insurers, that, that time and money spent preparing is likely to really pay dividends in the end. And there are five key areas where we think preparation is particularly important, and those are are the five that are up on the slide there. So looking at each of those areas in turn, firstly, the scope of the insurance that as trustees you're trying to get. So it's important to, to be really clear, and it sounds obvious, but it's important to be really clear what you are trying to actually insure. So 
are you going for what's the structure of the deal are you going for a buy-in or are you trying to actually go for a buyout either in in the short term or potentially in the medium term and then which members of the scheme are going to be within the scope of the policy so from talking to people, I know that in the Irish market, um, the the pensioner population is is most likely to be who you're trying to insure. But consider whether, whether are you trying to deal with say, the deferreds or um, or a mixture of the two. From the insurer's perspective, it's important to know whether the trustees want to have a long term buy in or whether actually they do intend to move to buy out relatively quickly. And the reason for that is because it's likely to affect the insurer's expense loadings and also they need to plan for the transition from payments from the scheme to payments directly from the insurers to members. It's also important to know the scope of the insurance. So as Sam said, there are different types of um, of deals that, that we're seeing in the market. So is it a plain vanilla deal? And by that, I mean... Are, is the insurer just taking on fixed liabilities that the trustees are notifying to the insurer at the outset of the contract? Or is it what we call an all-risk deal? So in other words, is the insurer taking the risk of data accuracy? Is it taking the risk on change of law? Is it taking the risk, for example, that there are unknown um, unknown members out there who for some reason have dropped off the trustees records but actually may come forward in the future and be entitled to benefits under those schemes. So it could be all of those risks that the insurer is taking on or it could be cherry picking certain risks that the trustees are particularly concerned about and are willing to pay a premium on top of the plain vanilla transaction. As well as being clear about the scope of the cover that the trustees are take, uh, uh, want to take, want to take it's important for, for the trustees to be able to present clean data, as a, a number of the other speakers have mentioned. And that's because, of course, it, that then allows the, the insurer to be a lot more specific in its pricing. And it also shows the insurer that the trustees have invested time and effort in preparing their scheme, um, and which obviously makes that scheme more attractive to the insurer. So there are two key strands really here. Firstly, the data cleansing process that Sam mentioned. So this can take some considerable time and not all schemes actually finish going through that process, as Sam said, before they actually enter into a transaction with the insurer. But the more advanced the scheme is in the data cleansing process before they transact, the more confident they can be about the pricing that they've received up to that point. If they haven't completed cleansing before entering into the transaction, then that process can be completed post-signing. And as Sam described, that would then result in a true-up payment either from the insurer to the trustees or vice versa. So if you haven't started cleansing at all or you're, you're at a relatively early stage before you enter into the contract, from the trustees' perspective, that means that it is more difficult to to have an idea in advance what the final price for that contract is going to be because you don't know exactly what's going to come out of your data cleansing. And it's important in, in that case, and in any case actually where you've got data cleansing going on during the during, after the contract is signed, to be clear 
that either the scheme or if necessary the sponsoring employer is going to be able to put the funding in to pay that true up payment if it's a payment from the trustees to the insurer. Secondly, as Jane mentioned, it's a, it's a good idea to spend a um, reasonable amount of time making sure that your benefit spec that you provide to the insurer is as accurate as it can be. So the benefit spec, as, as you've heard, provides details of the benefits that the trustees want to insure under the contract. And the risk in not spending enough time in really getting this right is that you then need to go back to the insurer further down the line and um, and change things. And I know John, John mentioned that potentially in a buy-in situation, there's potentially a little bit more flexibility about what you're insuring versus what strictly the scheme rules might require. Um, and potentially you could then go back to the insurer and, um, and, and ask for changes if at a later stage you were going to wind up the scheme and go to buyout. And, and that is true. Um, I think from from an advisor perspective, it, what you would make, need to make sure that the trustees understand in that situation is that there is no certainty that the, the insurer will be able to accommodate any requests that you have for changing benefits pre-winding up. Um, and actually, what we have seen in the UK market is that in some of the older contracts that trustees have entered into with certain insurers, um, the way that things were done at that time is that there wasn't a, a really detailed, accurate benefit spec. And when the trustees now are thinking about winding up the scheme and need, needing to secure the, the full benefits and accurate benefits under the, under the um, insurance contracts, they're going back to those insurers and asking them to sort of plug those holes. And in some cases, the insurers are actually just saying, well, no, we're not willing to do that or we're unable to do that for whatever reason. So then from the trustees' perspective, they need to decide how they're going to then plug that hole. So they potentially then have to go to another insurer who will ensure the gap between the first contract and what the actual scheme benefits are. So it's actually... Um, so that's actually quite a common situation um, in with some of the really big schemes that now we are seeing moving to buy out. So it's just something to, to be aware of. There are also a number of secondary issues for trustees to consider. So firstly, we suggest that both trustees and employers consider governance arrangements at an early stage when they're thinking about going into a bulk annuity contract. And in our experience, deals do tend to run a lot more smoothly if all of the key stakeholders are fully aligned in terms of their expectations, and particularly where they have a detailed plan for how they're going to go through the various steps towards actually executing that transaction and what the timetable is, is expected to be. It's particularly important for schemes to engage their investment managers at an early stage and get those investment managers speaking directly to the insurer. And the reason for that is that the asset transfer process can actually be a, a fairly critical part of the deal. So you don't want to leave that to the last minute. It's also important that trustees are really clear themselves on the nature of the transaction that they're actually entering entering into. So they need to really understand the legal process, um, what that contract is actually doing. So early education really is key there. They need to understand who the key players, players are in the market and really be satisfied that they 
as trustees are sat are willing to enter into a transaction with that counterparty. And actually, in the UK, there's now a fairly developed um, due diligence process um, for for carrying out due diligence on on insurers in this market. And so finally, I think it's important as well for trustees, of course, to manage their advisors to some extent. So, so they need to be really clear with their advisors as to what their objectives are, and also importantly on their desired timeframes for actually achieving the deal. So to sum up, um, similar to, to what John said, really, I think the main lesson um, that we can all learn from, from the UK experience is really preparation is key. You've been listening to our seminar on bulk annuity transactions. And if you'd like any more information in relation to this, please contact us at pensions at matheson.com. Thanks for listening to the Matheson Pensions podcast. For more information, go to matheson.com forward slash pensions.